0: Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 61, Going to CHA's Creativation Show, recorded on January 17th, 2017. My name is Julie Fafan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Balzer. Hi, Mom. Hi, Julie. How are you? I hear you've been Girl Scout cookie shopping.
1: I got an order from your brother in Brook in Brooklyn of what he wanted.
0: There are no Girl Scouts in Brooklyn? I I suppose
1: there are, but he doesn't know any. So he said, I'm looking for someone who lives near a Girl Scout cookie distribution center. And of course he knows.
0: I guess we should point that out that you do actually, I mean, I guess we both do, live quite near to an actual Girl Scout distribution center where you could literally back up a truck and take all the Thin Mints that you wanted. Well, I
1: thought they had a display and I thought... They had the same number of different boxes of cookies on display, and it was really, I thought, a mistake because I'm sure that the Thin Mints go faster than anything else. Anyway, I did Uh, my duty. that's your
0: theory, but I am actually not a Thin Mint person. I know they don't call them Samoas anymore. They call them something else, but that was always when I was a Girl Scout. That was the one I was after.
1: They are called Caramel
0: Delights. And delightful they are. Yeah.
1: Anyway. Anyway.
0: Got them. Thank goodness. Well, we've got lots to talk about beyond cookies because um, we're about to go on a trip. We are going to Phoenix. Have you ever been to Phoenix? I'm trying
1: to remember. I think I may have done so like in the airport or something like that. No, wait, was there an NBA all-star game in Phoenix? I might have been then.
0: That That's like asking me a physics question. I have no idea.
1: Okay, there you go.
0: The no, limits of your knowledge are becoming very obvious. Yes, yes. I, I, You know, I say this to people all the time. I am an incredibly lopsided person. I am not well-rounded. I mean, I may appear to be well-rounded from a round point of view, but I am actually a very, very lopsided person. I have specific interests that I'm interested in. Although, that said, I have to tell you, I've been talking about the Science Friday podcast from NPR endlessly because I've been listening because, of course, the overlap between science and art... You know, is there? We actually went to an exhibit. I don't know if we ever talked about it at Harvard, right? Where they were, it was all science and art intermingling, and it was things like slow motion films of, uh, you know, microscop like like multiply enlarged microscopic uh, creatures, and they was sort of were beautiful and full of colors and like shapes and pattern, and there was all sorts of stuff related to like space and the moons and stars. I mean, there there is clearly an overlap between science and art.
1: You know where we should go again that we've been not, not in a long time is the MIT Museum. Because it's actually a wonderful art museum, but it also has a scientific underlay to the different exhibits. And it's fascinating and well done. Let's go. I,
0: I don't recall ever going there, actually.
1: You mean I went with someone else?
0: You may have. I Or I was, I just did, it was not memorable to me. I, whatever it is, I don't remember. So, yes, let's go museuming. Okay um i actually went recently to the mfa uh for they had an evening of curatorial tours for new members um and because i'm part of the steering committee i was invited to go to sort of chat up the new members and get them excited about the museum which was great for me because it meant i got to go on a curatorial tour that i might not have otherwise um and i really had a good time Because I had a wonderful curator who was super geeked out about what she was sharing. And I think anytime someone is way, way, way geeked out about what they're sharing, it's fascinating. Now, given also she was talking about Impressionism and there's a wonderful Impressionism collection at the MFA... But she gave all sorts of tidbits. Like she was talking about, there's this, uh, there's this gallery that you walk through, and she was like, "This is not a hallway; it's a gallery." Because of course, it, it resembles a hallway in many ways that you or I might think of a hallway, as in there are rooms off of it, and you pass through it to get to the rooms, and it's long and narrow. But she was like, when the new director Matthew Teitelbaum, came in, one of the things that he challenged her to do is he said, "This feels like a hallway to me, and I need it to feel like a gallery." So she talked about the things that she did to make the hallway feel like a gallery. Um, and one of them was it used to be painted dark green, and she made it a lighter color, lighter, brighter, so that you really see it. She changed the size of the paintings in the uh, gallery hallway thing. Um, they had been small paintings. She made them larger paintings. And then more, most interestingly to me, I felt she changed the placement of the signage. So the lar- you know how when you walk into a museum gallery there's usually like a large placardy sign that sort of tells you the overall thing about that particular gallery. Mm-hmm. So for this one, she said she never wanted anybody to feel that they had come into the gallery in the wrong direction. And since it resembles a hallway, you can enter it from <laughs> multiple directions, this this gallery of wonder. And so what she did is she put signage at several different locations, including in the center of the gallery, so that any end you entered into... You were encountering the large signage, so you never felt like you had done it incorrectly. And I thought, yes. well, I was going to say, before, but while I interrupt you, what I was just to finish my thought before I forget it, is that this is part of when they talk about making museums friendlier and people mean like, say like, what does that mean? Or making museums more accessible. I think that this is actually an example of one of those kinds of things of making you feel sort of welcome and like not like you're doing it wrong. Anyway, sorry. What were you going to say?
1: Well, this harkens back to a comment you made recently about last year's Craft and Hobby Association uh, meeting, CHA, that we're about to go to again, where you said that, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, uh, the Brother booth had 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 the same color carpet or the same carpeting as the aisles, and for some reason that... Made the visitors think it was not a booth, it was still part of the passageway, and people kept just walking through the booth.
0: Yeah, they had so they had this large open booth. I can't remember if it was last time or the time before. Um, but part of the design of the booth had to have it been like airy and open and all this kind of stuff. But the problem with that was when the carpet matched the aisle carpet and it's airy and open, people assumed that like the tables and chairs were there instead of being for meetings for brother stuff. They assumed it was just like anybody can sit here. And this is like a lounge waiting area. And it, it was just, it was an interesting problem to have. So yeah, I do think like creating distinct areas is really important. And I would take it even a step further. And I would say it's a little like, okay, so what's really popular in design right now is these great rooms that are like your living, dining, kitchen, you know, everything room, right? And I have a friend who's thinking about renovating his house, and one of the things we were talking about is whether you could knock out all the walls in the downstairs and just make it one giant room so it had more flow and, you know, more flexibility, et cetera, et cetera. But everybody knows from a design point of view um, that the most important thing about something like that is having distinct areas, right? This is the dining area. This is the living area. And the reason for that is because I think, like, even though we want that open ability and that ability to see, like, across space and multiple places, we also want sort of the comfort of being held or contained. And, like, one of the things, because I do, my apartment is like that. The first floor of it is just one big room. Um, and, like, one of the first things I did is try to create some architecture, Right. To mm-hmm. try to separate the the dining and the living room areas to make things kind of like cozier and warmer. And then I would say, like, if you think about it, even from an art point of view, like the way that frames hold things, the way that sometimes we like to separate like color areas, the way that we, you know, try to as we're uniting into one large area, we are also dividing. And like, we talk about the rule of thirds and building a grid and all kinds of stuff like that, because I think we're constantly after this notion or this idea of like keeping things, keeping divisions clear, but like boundaries make us comfortable and things that we're doing and viewing, et cetera, et cetera.
1: All right. So uh,
0: (laughs) that's my statement for the day.
1: Okay. No, I was just thinking because in my house, I have lots of big rooms and yeah, one of the rooms we spend the most time in, and I think it's the TVs in there, but it's, I think one of the smallest rooms if, if, in the house and it just feels cozy. Yeah. You know, it feels, so I go in there just to read because it feels nest-like as opposed to reading in a gigantic living room.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the thing also when you see people, like, um, downsizing or why is everybody all together in one room or whatever. I mean, I think we do like cozy. And I've been thinking a lot about that in terms of stuff like, um, as I've been working sort of larger pieces, right, where things can Mm -hmm. be more expansive, what has been interesting to me is that my work has not gotten... It's not like I'm doing these great big pieces and there's a huge expanse of yellow paint on one edge, which formerly would have been a two-inch square, and now it's an eight-inch square. I, it's still a two-inch square, but now there's 55 of them. you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I just think that's interesting that I ha- – I, it's not like I just sort of enlarged it. I mm-hmm. actually – I have a personal style that's about density. Mm-hmm. No matter how big the space, which is also what I've always said in about apartment. Like, I could live in an apartment that was like 10,000 square feet, and I would somehow manage to fill every inch of it with crap. Um, because sometimes I think the place I live in now is twice as large as my old apartment in New York, and I don't know how it's so full of stuff. I, I just literally don't know where all this stuff came from. But I am like a – I just – I I am a density of stuff person, I think personally, artistically – um yeah that's my personal style I'm now going to just start staying that Uh, my art style is density of stuff
1: so you're telling me you're a hoarder
0: I'm not saying I'm a hoarder and in fact the guy who gave me an estimate for moving said to me I'm not saying you're a hoarder because it seems very organized but I've never seen this much stuff in an apartment
1: I suppose that's an accolade of some kind.
0: I felt it was like a glorious accolade. I felt this guy's seen a lot of people's, you know, private apartments and I am the most tough. You're at the top. Exactly.
1: Okay. Do you wanna tell us anything more about that museum visit to the MFA or shall we move right along?
0: Um, you know what I thought was interesting is so I went with a friend who's not a huge art person and when the curator was talking about this one painting and saying uh, one of the things she likes about Cezanne um, is how he sort of confuses the eye like he just sort of, he creates stuff and you kind of believe it but then if you start to actually break it down and try to explain is this a wall is this a road is that a tree what's that attached to you suddenly realize that there isn't logic. Mm -hmm. in what he's presenting and I really loved that idea because for me it reminded me a lot of the playwright Brecht who people you know when actors are working on a role they like things to be consistent you know what's the spine of my character and what am I doing here and why am I making these choices and Brecht used to say this thing all the time which is he would say listen people are hypocrites why can't characters and plays be hypocrites yeah you know and so well his characters are often complicated and weird and you can't really understand their motivations for doing things partially because you don't always understand the motivations that people are doing things and I'm not sure people understand why they're doing things but anyway so this talk about Cezanne feeling this way about some of his work where like it didn't necessarily obey the laws of physics or nature when you break it down yet when you look at it overall like it you obviously know what it is but you can't actually like figure out where the hell that branch is coming from or why it's floating in the air or or whatever you know and um what was interesting is my friend when he looked at the painting and heard this whole thing I was like oh yeah and Brecht and da 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 and he was like he was like are you kidding me that's obviously a road that's obviously a wall that's obviously moss you know what I mean and he just had a totally like he just did not go on that fantasy trip with either the curator or me like he was just very practical about of course I know what it is and of course I know what it's attached to and I can see it right there And I just thought that was interesting because it was a reminder to me that so much of like what – like I thought the curator was great and interesting and I loved everything she said, but maybe that she was just on my level because he did not feel that way about her. And I was thinking that like – Not on your level, on your wavelength. On my wavelength. That's what I mean. That's what I meant by level. But anyway, it was just like one of those things where I was thinking about how we all – carry ourselves with us when we view art and art is a conversation that the painter is having with you or that the painting or that the sculpture or whatever is having with you and so like the thing that's so exciting is that it is constantly evolving with whoever's viewing it and that's I don't know I just really like that idea
1: what a geek you are okay let's talk about (laughs) thanks mom C-H-A, which now has the name Creativation. I'm not even sure what Creativation means. Yeah,
0: agreed. As my assistant said to me, and she might not like it that I'm saying this out loud, but she said to me, why did they change the name? I can't even say it. And I was like, yes, I can't even say it. So from what I understand, and I know nothing, I'm way on the outside circle of C-H-A, is that... It was confusing that they are the Craft and Hobby Association, that's CHA, and that this show had the same name. And so they wanted to change it so that it had a separate name. And So that they are still CHA? They are, the organization is the Craft and Hobby Association, which is CHA. This show is called Creativation, which I think leaves it open for them to have other shows that have different names. The other thing is, I think, from what I understand, is they're doing a real push in the sewing category, in the makerspace category. They've brought back the decorative painters who they kicked out years ago. Um, And I think they're trying to get more into uh, beyond papercraft. Okay. Partially because papercraft is dying a little bit. I mean, listen, papercraft is not dying. This is the bad way to say it. There was a huge boom period in which it had blew up past, you know, it was a bubble. And now it's sort of back to a normal level, but it feels smaller because of that. Um, And I think also the number of companies, like uh, the companies that exist are stronger, so they own more of the properties. Do you know what I mean? Instead of the little scrappy companies, there's a lot more mega companies that own a ton of different lines and companies, et cetera. Um, Anyway, my wandering thoughts are coming around. So the thing is... uh, I think that's why they changed the name. I think they're just trying to rebrand and re-market it. I'm very curious to see what it's like and what the user experience is for me. Um, I find sometimes the question of like, I believe wholeheartedly that we still need trade shows even in this day and age of uh, internet stuff because there is something about face-to-face, and especially when you're talking about business relationships, I think it's important to be face-to-face. And if you don't have these trade shows and opportunities for people who aren't necessarily within the inner circle, I think you never get the new blood in of new people and new ideas and you know new stuff, right? You only have opportunities for those who are already in the inner uh, set. You'd think the internet would make it easier and more open, but it actually in some ways makes it harder.
1: You know, it's a little bit like, so instead of going to the library and looking through the card catalog and going to the, the shelves and actually kind of browsing what's there and inadvertently stumbling on something new and interesting, you know already what you want to look up. You type it into the computer and then you go and get that one thing uh and it it may cut you off from these kind of serendipitous discoveries.
0: Yes, I agree and I've long said that. Like I think that the great thing about the internet is being able to find exactly what you want. The terrible thing about the internet is it's 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 harder to discover things that might interest you um tangentially, you know. And so I'm a great 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 believer in in-person is fantastic I like in-person classes as opposed to online uh personally but I mean I see the benefit of online and I have taken a million online classes and I've taught online classes et etc et etc but I just I personally like in person I like uh in-person friendship conversations as opposed to via Skype or whatever else I understand it's not always possible I like in-person business deals as opposed I mean it's the same thing as like I had a I had a fight. Uh, with someone uh, today, and I was like, I would like to talk about this in person, you know, as opposed to on the phone or via text or whatever, because I think there is something about in-person is important. So I'm glad that there's a trade show. I'm excited to go and see what's shaking. Um, CJ is always kind of, I don't know, it's, it's different every year for me. It changes for what it means for me. This year, I actually feel a little bit of dread, which is funny. Yeah. It's the first time I've ever really felt that way about it. I mean, five years ago, I would have been out of my mind, picking out outfits, trying to, you know, getting a haircut, trying to make sure everything's right. This time, I'm kind of like, eh, I don't really want to go. And not because I don't enjoy it when I'm there. Not There's lots of people that I really like to see. I'm super excited. I'm having, oh, I didn't even tell you this. We're having dinner with some of my favorite people while we're there. So I'm excited, making plans, social plans of all kinds. Um, But I think the dread is that sometimes when I go to CHA, it's like looking at a perfect Instagram feed or, you know, something like that. It makes me feel bad about myself. It makes me feel like I, you know, I haven't been working hard enough. I haven't achieved all the goals that I wanted. I haven't, you know, gotten hit the pavement and gone out there and gotten stuff and like – you know, I feel – it makes me feel like I'm boring and I just do the same thing over and over again. I mean, like, all this stupid stuff, which I I reasonably understand is not true and that I should stop being a whiny baby about everything. But, like, you know – What you, if they're all true? What what if it is all true? Then I should just kill myself now. Um, I think the thing is, like – I think I—it's a very high-pressure situation, and it makes me feel like I should have worked harder, tried more, done more. You know what I mean? And I just need to get over it. That's—that's that's the ultimate answer. I just need to relax. So you can win the gold star. Exactly. I need to win the gold star. Really, if you think about it from a psychological point of view, this is probably your fault because you probably created a situation in which I felt that I needed to always like do better and be the best and be at the top. And you were never happy with anything less than an A. And if I brought home an A minus, you weren't happy. So I, I really think that probably this is your fault. I'll take that. And it still doesn't help you. See,
1: even blaming me does not help you. The only thing that's going to help you
0: is getting rid of this, fighting back on this. Yeah I mean here's the thing I think this is like Jealousy of all kinds And I know I've talked about this On the blog multiple times Like if you have journal envy or you have, There are people I can't follow On Instagram Because seeing their Perfectly curated life Which I understand is a lie And it may not be Perfectly curated Or it may be I don't know It just makes me feel Bad about myself And so you know what I do Instead of going through that I just unfollow them Not because I don't like them And respect them And admire them But just because It makes me feel bad about myself And why do I want to see somebody Who makes me feel bad about myself Right And so I think it's like Anything else, journal envy, or anything else, you getting get understanding that like you can't compare where you are to somebody else and you never know the whole truth, and you have to just be happy with what you have and you have to just work hard and do what you can. Like, I mean, it's funny, it's not like I compare myself to, you know, why aren't I, you know, Queen of England? Why aren't I a movie I star? Tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there are several reasons, um, but you know what I mean? Like, I just, yeah. I don't have, but somehow at other times you compare yourself and you say, oh, I should have a perfectly beautiful house that, you know, looks like this. Oh, I should have a studio that, you know, is like that. Oh, I should have whatever it is, a new book, a new line, a new this, a new that, you know. But again, most of the time, I don't want people to think I'm an insane person. I am incredibly happy with my life and I am incredibly grateful for everything that I have. It's just, you know how it is, sometimes sometimes. It's that old thing. Comparison is a thief of joy. And I just need to not compare. So that's my goal for CHA. We can talk about it afterwards, whether I successfully did it. My goal for CHA is just not comparing myself and to just be happy and say, I love life. Which is difficult because
1: all you do is walk up and down the aisles and compare one thing to another so yes it's difficult but I think it applies to all of life which is you never know what's going on in someone else's life you know someone else's marriage with someone else's children with someone else's job you just have no idea
0: it's true it's very true and so I think I mean jealousy is one of the ugliest emotions out there right and so I think it's like anything else I just need to get over it which I will which I will. I think it's just at this moment. I'm also sleep deprived because I've been burning the candle at both ends because I'm trying to get all those last minute projects done. Why don't you talk about the preparations that you make for CHA?
1: Um, So it's basically making well, first, projects. No, no, no. It starts... Even months before, because okay, so you have to get, some get your new, new before, products. You have out. to design
0: your new products, and then the new product prototypes come in. If there are any major problems, you have to deal with that. Then, once they are there, then you have to make samples, and sample making is sort of a complicated idea, because the the issue is in terms of what you make is it has to be something that. A, is exciting enough to people that from far away, they come into the booth, okay? So that's important thing one. But two, it can't be so complicated looking or so difficult that they think it's beyond them and can't understand how the product was used to create the thing that they see. There has to be a very clear one-to-one where people are like, oh, I see, you put this stamp and stamp it on red paper and it looks like that. So that's already, you've got to get those two things going. Then number three, but it has to be beautiful or attractive or interesting or complicated enough to get them to take a photograph of it, which they will then post online, which will then get people who weren't there interested in the thing that you are selling. Uh, So I think for me, at least, those are the big three which is grab your attention, be accessible, be exciting and worthy of photographing and posting. So it's a lot to think about about how to get things to be like that. So this year I'm making samples for, um, I didn't have to make any scan and cut samples. I'm only making samples for the Crafters Workshop and for Art Foamies. So what I did for Crafters Workshop is previous to this, I've almost always done scrapbook pages because I started a scrapbooker and I started using the stencils on my scrapbook pages. I just don't do 12 by 12 scrapbook pages anymore. I do project life, but I don't do that. So I, last year was the first year I did art journal pages instead. Um, and they were sort of like not really art journal pages. They were kind of like eight and a half by 11, you know, sort of incorporating it into. Um, but I didn't love the way that those turned out. And so this year I went back and I thought about what do I want to do and I like to make them consistent. I like to make them meaning like they're not like one's a scrapbook page and one's of this and one's of that. I like to make them somewhat consistent for the Crafters Workshop. So this year what I decided to do is Crafters Workshop has come out with a whole bunch of like molding paste and dimensional stuff, um, which I think people really like using with stencils, right? They're pretty foolproof and they're pretty easy. So I went through a couple iterations of what was going to happen. First, I did all these colored background, colored and patterned backgrounds, and then I did molding paste on top of them. But then I didn't like the way that it looked. So then I decided to age and distress and sort of metallicize. Is that a word? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And metallicize the uh, pieces and antique them. And they're really, like, beautiful and interesting now. And I used a lot of the techniques, actually, that I shared in my creative jumpstart class um, that I'm teaching in, over in Natalie's classroom, um, but just about like layering different media to create these really deep looks. And I love the way that they turned out. The one thing is I'm not sure that they like bling, bling, grab you from super far away. So what I did because of that, because here's the thing, I think they fulfilled the second two requirements, which is like, I think they're accessible, but interesting and beautiful, and you want to take a photo of them, da-da-da-da. I'm not sure they grab you from across the room. So what I did is I created a large um, face in with neon paint, which is all filled with stencils. So it's one of those things where, like, not to call it pointillism because it's not in any way, but you know when you look at a pointillism painting, like, from far away, and you see the seashore, and you look up close, and it's just a bunch of dots? Yes. yes. So this is, like, from far away, it's clearly a face, but when you get up close, it's just all stencils. You know. I can't wait to see it. So yeah, it's pretty cool. I posted it on my Instagram story late one night. Um and is it the one with the teeth? No, it has big neon pink lips and big oh. yellow neon face okay. and green. Anyway, um but it is but for but that piece is really meant to I'm hoping it's going to be like the come into the booth. You know, check me out. You, I'm neon. You can see me from way far away, and I'm big. The other thing, of course, is I had to put the face on something that I can pack on my suitcase because I got to bring the samples with me. So I put it onto a big piece of paper, which I knew I could roll. I didn't even use watercolor paper or anything. I just used cheap drawing paper because I was like, I have to be able to roll this and make it into my suitcase. So, do you have a tube? Do you have no, a tube to pack it with? I do not, but I will— Living dangerously. I know, but I feel like I will— I will pack it and it will be fine. I will sandwich it beautifully. I might have a tube if you want me well, to. Well then look I might like... come after your tube. I didn't even think about a tube. I'll be here unwinding paper towel later. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um so that's sort of crafters workshop how I solve that problem i haven't quite finished my art foamies samples so she asked me for four 12 by 12 samples so for art foamies for four 12 by 12 samples i went through a whole bunch of like what i want to do what i want to do and i decided that art foamies are still so new and foam stamps even though they're old are still so new that i wanted to provide some education in terms of what can be done with foam stamps what can you use foam stamps for so i've done four different applications so first, I made these paper clay tiles, which if you looked at them, you would never know that they're paper clay. They look like they're actual, like, beautiful ceramic tiles because I put um, tar gel on top so they're all glossy. They have lots of dimension. Again, I faux painted them so that they have that kind of ceramic look. They're really, really beautiful. So I made four of those, four five by 5 tiles to fit on a 12x12 12 12 piece of paper. Um, I just mounted those on cardboard today. It's drying um Then I wanted to show, of course, that can be used with paint. So uh, my assistant and I did black stamping on white paper and white stamping on black paper and then mixed the two together into a single piece. And the thing that's so cool about it is when you look at it, you have a moment about like what's the positive, what's the negative, which is the black on white and which is the white on black. And unless you really know the designs, you can't actually tell and that's just again reminding people about the versatility of like you know stamps really are and also just like the and paint is so black or paint is so white you don't have to worry about what ink can i use with this what you know it's like use any paint you got you know so I thought that was a great one. And then I've just maybe finished. I'm not sure it's drying. I wanted to do a, a little bit of a mixed media collage piece. So something that was a little more art with a capital A to show people that they could go in that direction too. So I created this kind of overall background using lots of the art foamies. And then I have some cut collage pieces across the top, including I use some Duralar from Graphics, which is this really cool plastic sheeting. I made some acrylic skins. Like I think, I think, It's just again a different application, and the final piece, which is the riskiest piece, which I'll tell you why in a minute. I'm so glad that you asked. Um, is I made a little quilt yesterday and I even put a binding on it and everything. Um, and I'm going and so first what I did is I printed the fabric and in fact when my assistant saw it she went oh my gosh that's beautiful fabric and I was like no 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 that's art foamy's printed on fabric and she was like really you just stamped it on there and I was like yes really so it's really cool what you can do so I'm going to do some beading and embellishing with buttons on top of the little quiltlet that I made I mean it's 12 by 12 it's a quiltlet it's like it's a, a quiltini. Yeah, it's a quiltini. It's a potholder is what it is. <laughs> but uh, so, but the issue is I just don't have the time. It's probably going to take like 6 to 12 hours to do all the hand stitching on it. And I just don't have the time right now. So I'm going to finish all my other projects. And then I'm going to take all my supplies to do it on the airplane with me. What's the flight to Phoenix? Five hours? Must be
1: about that. So yeah, I figure so, between good. the
0: airport there, the hotel that night, some Desperate Stitching, some other time, I don't know. That
1: could be a title of a of a Desperate Stitching. Desperate stitching.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um. That I will then finish that up. So those are my four samples for that booth. But here's the thing, which is if you could go from start to finish to these pieces knowing how they were going to turn out, this would be a very quick process. The problem is I probably went through – 10 to 20 projects that didn't work out, you know, in the last month of things I've decided to cast aside or ways that it didn't work or things that I changed my mind about or do you know what I mean to get to these. So speaking
1: as a blog reader, I would love to read a blog and see all the fails. Well, and then hear from I you know. why they are I should are take fails. more
0: photographs along the way because one of the things that I have started to do as, I, as I've become a more experienced artist is instead of throwing away the fail, I'll often work on top of it. Just like Van Gogh, I have paintings under my paintings and someday they'll x-ray them before shipping them off to the dump. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, so I reuse a lot of that stuff. So some of it I can show, but some of it I think is underneath something else. Wow, you're a little secret. I know. And then on top of it I also agreed for some reason I don't understand to do a blog hop for a book that's coming out and that post needs to go live the Thursday that I get back from CHA, so I'm desperately trying to finish the project. For There's a that. lot of desperation. There's here. a lot of desperation. My life is one of desperate crafting. That is should be the name of my autobiography. She was a desperate crafter.
1: I'll bet there are other people who would be joining.
0: (laughs) Hey, please join (laughs) my group. We're called the Desperate Crafters. Desperate for supplies. (laughs) (laughs) Desperate for ideas. Desperate for time. Yeah. So, and I really um, get into the zone late at night. So if you follow my Instagram stories, you'll see, like, You know, 11 o'clock, 12.05, 2.30 a.m., 4.25 a.m. I just, I am a late-night maker.
1: So now we know one of your late-night secrets.
0: You do. My late-night secret is I'm there with a paintbrush between my teeth. Sounds sexy. (laughs) Uh, So... Uh, this time you're not teaching. Sometimes you teach at CHA. Yeah. This time I am not teaching, um, and which is great. It's somewhat relieving. There's less stress, less to think about, no class handouts, no like trying to figure any of that out. So this time I'm just demoing, which will be great, and socializing and seeing some friends and happy about that. And um, I think it'll be a good trip. I'm... Uh, I, it's been years since I've been to Phoenix, so I'm looking forward to it.
1: Wait a minute, didn't you say at the beginning of this podcast you weren't sure you had ever been to Phoenix?
0: I, I like that you're confusing you and me. You said at the beginning that you weren't sure if you had ever been to Phoenix. I know for a fact that I have been to Phoenix because I went to, I I said I didn't know whether or not the NBA All-Star Game was in Phoenix. Ah, That is a separate issue. No, I went to the uh, NAMTA, the National Art Materials Trade Association show, and um, Dina Wakeley took me to the best pizza place ever, which she has promised to take me to again this time, and you get to go with us, so I'm very excited about that.
1: Another perk for me. I know pizza. So was it was it in the same convention center or was? Is I this think new? it
0: was in the same convention center, but this was probably eight years ago. It was the first year that I designed stencils for TCW, so it was a long yeah. time ago, and my memory is not that good.
1: Okay. And then you, although you've talked the least about it, you have a heavy commitment to be in the brother booth too. I
0: do. I will be in the Scan and Cut booth most days, most of the day. I'll also be setting up the booth. I have some meetings with them. They have some exciting new, did you hear that? They have some exciting new stuff coming out, which I can't wait to share after the show um and what else um and i'll just be demoing and talking to people about the scanning and cut and showing them what it can do most of the brother booth this time around is going to be sewing so the scanning cut is really um just a tiny little portion of what's happening
1: okay do you think we'll ever see the sun or will, will we, we ever indoors? go
0: outside well i will be inside you may see this oh we have to walk from the hotel to the convention center and it's not in like a walkway or anything. So there you go. See the sun.
1: So I should bring my vitamin D pills because you'll see it may not be enough.
0: Well, I, you'll see the sun a little bit. I would say bring your umbrella because I think it's going to rain while we're in Phoenix, which I don't think it rains in Arizona at all. So we're just lucky.
1: Okay, I'll do that. Yeah, Let's go... If that's all with CHA, let's go back to something you started talking about in the beginning of this podcast and talk about either online classes that you're thinking of uh, creating for this year, because it's been, I think, a couple of years since you've done a new online class. I know, Uh, I'm bad. No, except for classes on other people's yeah I've taught in a bunch uh, of group thing.
0: classes but I haven't done a new online class on my site in a while which I realized when someone uh pointed it out to me the other day so I I have a couple online classes that i have been mean to do I mean this is hilarious I actually have an online class that is half recorded uh from I probably started recording it two years ago maybe even three which is insane but half of the class is done and I just never got around to doing this Half of it. I mean the thing the thing that I think is so funny is I make so many YouTube videos. I mean I post at least two videos a week, if not more than that. Um so I don't know why it's so hard for me to get it together to do an online class. I think it's partially because I, I always am concerned about giving people value for money and I worry, you know, is this enough? Is this enough? Is this enough? Is this enough kind of thing uh about it. But uh, I have some online classes I want to do. So I've been doing these things called Expanded Square. If you follow me on Instagram or on Facebook, you've seen them, um, which is a concept that I found out about um, from Jane Dunewald and really just interesting, interesting stuff to do. It's paper cutting. It's about design. There's this Japanese theory of no tan, which is like perfect balance between light and dark. Um, and I've been reading this book about Notan that's really interesting where they talk a lot about the empty spaces being meaningful. Like it's the empty space in a bowl that makes it useful. It's the, um, empty spaces inside a house that make it useful. It's the, you know, the idea is that sometimes we focus so much on like what is there instead of what isn't there. And Notan really is the, if you look at a yin and a yang single symbol, right, it's the, the there and the not there that makes that symbol happen. And so the same thing, the idea is like in design you're constantly seeking that idea of perfect balance. And it reminds me a little bit of, I remember we went to see the Picasso exhibit at the MFA mom and you and we saw some of his great black and white work and you said to me, why don't you ever try to paint maybe in black and white? You know, because if you can make your work work without color.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I mean, that's really what Picasso's blue period was about. That's really what a lot of, you know, Um, just black and white studies and stuff are about is like, if you can make it work without color, then it's really the composition is right. I know, as I, I think I've said before, my brother has said to me, have you ever tried not using all the colors? Um, so black and white is something that I definitely am interested in exploring. And so this whole thing of expanded square and no 10 has been really fun for me to start to explore. Just 2D design and really thinking about what creates balance without color. So I'm going to be teaching a class, an online class about that soon. And I'm excited about it because I think other people's brains will probably open and flower a little bit the way that mine has doing this. I want to do some more and really get some strong concepts under my belt before I teach it. So I'll probably teach that maybe march I feel like, March, April. Um, I've been doing them not quite daily, but almost. Um, And then the other class that I've been thinking about teaching is people keep asking and certainly asked around Carve December. I have, I actually, I obviously have my um, stamp carving 101 class up, but I've never taught patterning online. Um, I have an in-person patterning class that I've taught. I have, the book has a lot of patterning stuff in it, but I know that patterns are something that people are particularly interested in. So I've been thinking about getting up a stamp carving patterning class, which I think Mm -hmm. would be really cool to do. Um, I also for a long time have been talking and I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but I have all these charts written of like, if I taught an online class, what would be the parts of it? And I have this very long and epic printmaking class that I'm interested in teaching, which is about like printmaking of all kinds, collagraph, you know, etching on and on and on, but that you can do with like, without needing a ton of equipment that you can get away with sort of in, in a crafter style. So it's like bootleg printing, kind of. How do you screen print but without like 100,000 chemicals? How do you, you know, do collograph but without a printing press? How do you, et cetera, et cetera, which I think would be a really fun class to teach. So I might do that in the back half of the year. So that's, th- those are kind of the ideas that are floating around for me right now.
1: And you also now have a class coming up in Connecticut.
0: I do. I just got dates, March uh, four and five. I'm going to be teaching in Connecticut, sort of uh, past New Haven, I believe. I'm, when you say past, you're going from New York. Yeah, to I'm Boston. just thinking. I'm, I may be wrong about geography, though. It's uh, it's at uh, this anyway. It, the, it's yeah. At the yeah. Where is, it, it it is at <laughs> The paper clubhouse. And if I were smart, I would actually just look up where that is, right? Is this terrible that I don't know? Connecticut's just like a big place to me, and I'm not sure. Uh, paper Craft Club is in Westbrook, Connecticut. Um,
1: I seem to recall that the last time you taught there, you took a train to New Haven. Is that right? Yes, right? I think
0: I took the train to New Haven, and then I got picked up in New Haven. That's my remembrance of it, but that was like four years ago, three or four years ago. But yeah, so Papercraft Clubhouse is in Westbrook, Connecticut is what it says on their website.
1: But you haven't yet decided what you're teaching.
0: Uh, I think she picked classes. I'm not sure they're up for sale yet, but she wrote to me, I think uh, the first day, the Saturday is going to be Jelly and Deli, um, in which I'm going to be teaching how to get intentional prints. So this is not just like the random... Just making kind of stuffs. is like if you wanted to create a landscape of face, a many layer design. If you, you know, I'll teach you a registration procedure, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then the next class, we're doing this uh, pamphlet stitch art journal, where we're gonna make all the art journal pages first, and then we stitch them together at the end into a pamphlet style art journal. So super fun. Okay. Ah, here it says we are located on Route One. 1566 Boston Post Road directly across from Water's Edge Resort. So if you know where that is in Connecticut, I think it's sort of equidistant between Boston and New York. That's at least my understanding. So who knows? Okay. Yeah.
1: Anything else you
0: want to tell us before we leave? No, I'm excited to head to um, I'm excited to head to C H A, see what happens. And um, my vlog this week is epically long. I'm in the pro- process of editing it, but I have like seven minutes. That's just like at H S N, so I've been trying to cut it down, cut it down, cut it down, because I try to keep them around ten minutes. I think this one's going to be closer to like fourteen. So I apologize if you're watching it for a really long time. But it's really good. <laughs> HSN, as usual, the same,
1: nothing, yeah, it, different happened.
0: Yeah, no, I mean HSN was what it always is. It was good. It was an adrenaline rush. I should have taken a nap. I will next time. And uh, yeah, that's well. It. You
1: actually had the time at HSN to go to the Picasso Museum and see I the. I went to the Frida, Dolly Museum. I'm uh, sorry, the Dolly Museum and see the Frida Kahlo exhibit. I did.
0: And I Which will you've been be, wanting to do. Yeah, and I will certainly be sharing, you know, uh, lots of pictures of that on the blog in February. It was a good visit.
1: Okay, so we're still finishing up the blog anniversary, January's blog anniversary, your 10-year anniversary of blogging.
0: Yep, finishing that up. In fact, I was just writing the post about the Scan and Cut uh, and the Scan and Cut giveaway and all that kind of stuff that's happening. Um, lots of fun, and just you know, it's fun for me because also sometimes I'm like, wait, when did I do this? How do I know this person? And it's interesting to go down memory lane and be like, oh yeah, oh yeah. So that here's here's that oh yeah moment.
1: And I do want to say that on the weekend during this anniversary, you've been printing some wonderful, wonderful letters from your readers. Who have, some of whom have been with you for the whole 10 years and some of them who just found you recently. And I must say, as your mother, mm. I love reading these letters because well, they're so kind and they're so warm.
0: Well, my hope in posting them um, is that I hope that people will see that there are people who've taken some of these lessons you know, about art and really use them and run with them and had their lives touched because of it. And that is so meaningful to me. And I hope, I mean, I believe that art heals. I believe that art is a wonderful thing to pursue, to be a part of, to just appreciate. And I just, I love the community that blogging has created. So for me, it's a real feel good thing that I hope makes everybody feel really good and really happy and, and excited to make things.
1: That's a good note to end on. Yeah.
0: Okay, so if you are looking for me, you know where to find me at ballsredesigns.typepad.com. And do leave us your comments or questions at balserdesigns.com backslash arting. We'd love to hear from you. And if you tweet about the show, please use the hashtag pound artingpodcast. That's all one word, A-R-T-I-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. And thanks so much for listening. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting Podcast.